All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14 this morning, and the title of the sermon today is God's Great Invitation. I like that title. I like this story. Jesus is going to, he's going to tell us here the, the third of three stories here in the last week of his life, three parables, and this one, I've, again, I've titled it God's Great Invitation. And what this shows us, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the main two points of the sermon. What this, this story will teach us is that we have a God who is very, very, I'm going to add another one, very inviting. That he is always sending, always calling, always asking people to come to salvation. He is a very, very, very inviting God. But also, number two, is that it's very, very, very dangerous to reject the invitation that God gives. So that's the two main points you need to get away from this today, is that our God's a very inviting God. And it's very scary, very dangerous for anyone to say no to the invitation that God sends. So let's stand together and let's study, look at God's great invitation. I'm going to read 14 verses. I know that's a little bit longer, uh, but he's telling a story here, so we've got to get it all in. I, I think it'll be a story that'll get you on the edges of your seat. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to love it. Uh, you're going to be in the story as we do this. I hope you're, it's almost going to be like you're attending the wedding yourself. As he tells us a story about a wedding, really a wedding invitation. Verse 1 And this is the word of God. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. And he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which were bidden, Behold, I have prepared a dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. So come unto the marriage." But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm and another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and and treated them spitefully and and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage." So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all, as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was full, furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man, which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot. Take him away and cast him into outer darkness. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray together and we'll look at God's great invitation. Father, we thank you for, uh, for this passage. I, I've enjoyed the study. I've learned from the study. That you are a God who's incredibly inviting. Arms open. Bidding people to come urging people to come to salvation. And I need to be more inviting in my preaching and my my talking to people out in the community. You are inviting God. We need to be an inviting people. But God, help us to see that it's dangerous to turn down your invitation. So God, teach us these things this morning. Help us to honor your son. Help us to preach the truth, to receive it well. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 
I heard a story this, this week, and it, it's a true story in my studies that I wanted to share with you. Uh, there was an event on April 29, 2011. Uh, they called it the Wedding of the Century. It was a wedding between, and maybe some of you all remember this, I remember it, Steph made me watch it, she enjoyed it for some reason, but it was a wedding between Prince William and his now bride, Kate. It was held in Westminster Abbey in London, and they say that, I don't know how they know this, but over 300 million people watched it across the world. People in America got up at 2 a.m. in order to watch this wedding of the century. And they, some of these people got up at 2 a.m. to watch it, and they put on their, their best England clothes, and they had them at a little tea party, almost feeling like they were there. So they, this is the, the wedding of the century. And at the end of the wedding, they had a reception. And it was held at Buckingham Palace, which you guys know where the, that's where the Queen lives. And the space there was very limited, so the royal family sent out 650 invitations. These were engraved invitations. It was a who's who of people. It was an exclusive guest list. If you could only invite 650 people, then the Queen had her choice of who was going to get to come. So I want to ask this question. Out of 650 people that were invited, invitations sent out, how many do you think, out of the 650, answered the invitation and came to the reception? 650 went out, and 650 came back. There was nobody who said, you know what, I've got something better to do this weekend. There was nobody who said, you know, I, my, my kids have a basketball game. There was nobody who said, you know, I, I need to, to sit at the house and work around the garden this weekend. Everybody, 650 went out, and 650 came back. Nobody said no to this invitation to the greatest wedding of the century. It's because nobody would say no to this invitation. I mean, this is a, I mean, there's no higher uh, privilege than to be invited to the wedding of, of the royal family. So nobody, if they had sent me one, I would have went. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't have? We all would have. We would have put aside whatever we had going on that weekend when he said, you know what? I get to go to the, to the Buckingham Palace and I get to eat cake and, and hang out with the, the royals and I get to dress in my finest clothes. Nobody in their right mind would have turned down this invitation. It was an invitation of a lifetime. And I say this at the beginning because I want to show you today that, that I've got an invitation here that is bigger and better than this invitation. This invitation is so much better than, than a royal family invitation. This is what I would call a heavenly invitation. This invitation is, is much greater. It's an invitation from heaven to you. Individually, personally. It's an invita invitation for you not to come to a wedding, but to come to salvation. An invitation for you to have your sins forgiven. An invitation for you to go to heaven when you die. An invitation for you to enter into the kingdom of God. That's this invitation. If that was an invitation of a lifetime, this is an invitation of eternity. There's nothing like this invitation. And this invitation is what this entire parable is about. Jesus is here telling another earthly story. And it's got a great heavenly meaning. Jesus was a master teacher at taking things that were just normal everyday life stories and, and, and uh, he, he would see vines and say, you know, I, I see a vine and, and I'm like that vine. I am the vine. And he'd see a light. He'd say, you know, that, that, you see this light? I am the light of the world. 
He was great at taking everyday things and bringing them down to, to our level so that we can understand them. At taking something earthly and showing us a, a heavenly meaning to it. And that's what he's doing here. This was a common thing in their time. For there to be weddings and, and celebrations. And he says, he's going to take this wedding and he's going to describe to us what salvation is like. I love that. Salvation isn't like a funeral. Amen. Salvation is like to Jesus here. It's like he's, he's, he's walking around in the temple here and he's teaching in the, the last week of his life and he's th- sitting there and he's saying, I need to tell these people what, what salvation is like. Not heaven, but the entirety of the scope of salvation. And I need to explain to them what salvation is like. And he said, let me find the greatest thing on earth. And I'll describe it comparing it to that. So he took a wedding and he said, I want you to see salvation is the greatest thing in the world. And you are invited to it. You are invited to the greatest thing in the world. Not a wedding, but to a salvation through Jesus Christ. So I want to show you here this morning. Our God is an inviting God. And He's he's inviting us, you who may be lost, to come to this great salvation. And to those of us who are already saved, you say, I've already, already accepted the invitation. I'm going. I have Jesus then we need to be the ones who go out and invite the world and show them how great a salvation we have. So let's look at this today. I want us to look at God's great invitation. And I've broken it down as I, as I normally do into, into three points as, as we work our way through this story that he tells. I want to start number one. Again, this is God's great invitation. I want to show you first the over-the-top celebration. The -the over-the-top celebration. And that's just in in verse 2. My whole first point is in verse 2. Because it says here, the kingdom of heaven is like, which you you could say, kingdom of heaven is is the realm of salvation. The place where God rules. And and so he's saying here, salvation is like unto this. And this whole story is describing to us what salvation is like. What it's like to be saved. And he says there's a certain king. So I'm going to stop there. Who is this king in this story? Understand the king, and we're going to follow it all the way through here, so this is kind of your way of understanding as we go through this story. The king here is God the Father. The king here is the first person of the Trinity. The king is the main character. He's the, he's the one who's controlling all things. He's the one who has all authority. He's the one who's sending out the invites. He's the one above everybody else. There's nobody above the king in this story. This goes back to the first three stories, that, or the first Two stories that we had. The Father, God the Father was the Father. He's been the owner. He's been the King. I think this goes back to answer the question of, to Jesus of where did you get your authority? He says, let me tell you three stories and it'll show you where I got my authority. From the Father, the owner, and the King. It starts with the King. And it says the King is, look at this, the certain King which made a marriage. Stop there. Let's stop right there. What's this marriage here? It can actually mean banquet. It could be celebration. It could be a plural word that means multiple celebrations. So he's he's putting together, this king is putting together a marriage. He's planning it. He's preparing it. He's putting all the, the details in place. And you need to see this. The, the wedding and celebration is our salvation. So the father is planning and preparing and putting everything together for our salvation. That's what he's doing here. It's all his plan. And it goes back to before the foundation of the world that God put it all together 
A salvation that is unbelievable. And it says a wedding, which is a reception. Now you need to hear this. It's the biggest social event of their time. There's nothing bigger. It was a minimum in that day. Our weddings last a day. Maybe a rehearsal. I love the rehearsal. I love the rehearsal dinner. I like preaching weddings because I get to eat a lot when I preach weddings. But you go to the rehearsal, you get a rehearsal dinner. So there's day one. And then you've got this, the, the, the wedding day. And, and that's an all-day event. So it's a big two-day, maybe three-day event when you have a wedding. But in their time, it wasn't a two- or three-day event. It was a week-long event. And it started earlier in the week and you had a, a breakfast where everybody was invited to it. And they had something different going on every day. And at the end of the week, the last day, seventh day, last event was the reception. The banquet, when everybody came and they would eat and they would be, they'd be drinking and they would be dancing and there would be all these festivities that are going on to celebrate this wedding. It was, it was an outstanding event. Even for the poor, it was a once in a lifetime event and you spared no expense. This normal wedding would be huge. A kingly wedding would be out of this world. Over the top. The king is planning here the biggest, most expensive, most lavish wedding ceremony in the history of the world. This will be a celebration that he's planning in verse 2, unlike anybody has ever seen before. This is a huge event. You need to get that. I wanted to make this the first point to show you this over-the-top celebration because nobody says no to this. If you get an invite to this, you're going to go. It is a huge event. And again, this is what God has been preparing and planning and putting together from the foundation of the world. It's not a wedding. It's our salvation. And nobody ought to turn down what God has put together. Now watch this. I just want to stay in that verse. When you see the kingdom of heaven, I want you to see the salvation. Our salvation is like a king who put together marriage. And who's it for? His son. I like that. In our day, the bride is the center of attention. And that's okay. I, I like that. I love that the, it's the... I, and I tell people when I do marriage pre-marriage counseling with them, and we're getting ready for the wedding, and I, I, they'll say, we'll talk about the plans, and I'll say, whatever you want, bride. This is your day. You've been, you've been dreaming about this your whole life, so whatever you want. And the groom's sitting over there like, what about me? I'm like, hey, we don't care about you. Whatever you want. <laughs> Whatever you, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll get you a piece of cake somewhere. Whatever she wants is what goes. I mean, that's how it is. Whatever she wants. She wears the dress. She has the veil. She walks down the aisle. All eyes are on her. Everybody stands when she walks in. Everybody does, ooh, and ah. Oh. It's all about the bride. We'll get to the reception and I'll look at the, I'll, I'll talk to them one last time. And I'll say, did, did everything go okay? How you wanted it? And the groom will say, yeah. I'm like, I don't care what you think. <laughs> you stand over there. And you look at the bride and say, did everything go how you wanted it to go? That's uh, two things. When you're preaching a wedding, one, that they get married. Two, that the bride is happy. But watch this. The bride is never mentioned in the entire passage. You see this? The only one mentioned in the entire passage is the king's son. He's the, the, the one that is in the center of attention. He's preparing the celebration. He's preparing the marriage. He's preparing the banquet. Everything is done 
for his son. It's not for the bride, it's for the king's only son. This is a celebration. And understand this, salvation is a celebration of the king's son. It's a celebration of Jesus. It's all about Jesus, by Jesus, and for Jesus. That's what he's saying here. It's, it's, he's throwing the celebration of a lifetime for his son. He's, everybody else is in the background. Everybody else is, is invited to come and celebrate the son. It's all for, it's all eyes on the son. The son here gets full preeminence. All eyes on him, all oohs and all ahs are towards him and not the bride. This celebration is about the Son. God has spread the feast of salvation with the sole purpose of honoring His only Son. The Father has gone to great lengths to honor His Son. He's planned it. He's prepared it. He's put it together before the foundations of the world so that His Son might be honored. This is an over-the-top celebration for the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to see this. Salvation honors the Son. Our salvation has... We get the benefits. It's like these, these guests that get to go. They, they get to eat. They get to drink. They get to enjoy. But the celebration is all about the Son. We get the benefits. He gets the glory. Our salvation is all about the Son. There will be a wedding supper in the end and everybody that is there will be there because of the Son and to honor the Son. Amen. So that's the over-the-top celebration. But before we see the celebration, we've got to send out the invites. <laughs> I love the story. We've seen the over-the-top celebration. Now let me give you the open invitation. So now there's three invitations that go out. Watch it with me. Three invitations. And watch how it, how it progresses. Starts in verse 3. So the king sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. So he sends out his servants with invitations in hand. I want you to go out and I want you to hand, personally hand and deliver an invitation to these people. And it's a Special guest list. It's not going out to, to everybody right now. It's those that are bidden. That's what it says. Take it to those who were bidden. This is the, a privileged group. This is a, a chosen group. I believe this is picturing to us uh, the nation of Israel. Amen. I believe this is uh, Moses. I believe this is the prophets in the Old Testament. I heard a commentator say this week that, that when it's, this verse 3 describes the entire Old Testament. That God sent out his servants and said, I'm preparing a celebration for my son and I want all you guys to come. And all the prophets, as you go through Jeremiah and Isaiah and, and you, you name a prophet, and they all went out with God's invitation in hand saying there's a celebration that's on its way. There's a salvation that is coming and we want you to be a part of it, at taking it to the nation of Israel. Get ready, it's on its way. And it says, and they wouldn't come. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, they're unwilling, it says, to accept the offer. I think that as Jesus is telling the story, that the crowd that's listening is doing, what? Who turns that down? It says they were unwilling. They, they would not come. 
Who in their right mind does that? This is indifference. They just kind of shrugged it off. Like you sending me an invitation in the mail and I get it in the mail. And I don't respond to you. I don't say anything about it. I just take that invitation out of the mail. And I say, I'm not going to that. And I wad it up and I throw it away. There's really just an indifference to that. I don't care enough to say no to you. I don't care enough to think about it. I'm just indifferent to it. I'm just like, "Ah, I ain't going to that and throw it away. So that's what they did. They didn't care about it. So he says, okay, we'll we'll take it in an extra little, little way here. Watch this again. Verse 4. Again, this is, the, this is the patience of God. He does it again. He could have stopped right there. I believe we go from verse 3, which is the Old Testament, to verse 4, which is when Jesus and John the Baptist came. So he says, okay, I want to invite them again. But this time, here's what I want you to say. He sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which were are bidden, Behold, I've prepared my dinner. It's done. I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed. And if I were you, I would underline, and all things are ready. So come into the marriage. Everything is prepared and everything is ready. And what that is, is you don't have to bring anything. We have a potluck here at the church, and, and usually the, the ladies will give me a, a list to put online, or we'll put it out front, and we'll sit there and say, okay, we're having something to eat, and we need about 15 people to bring chicken. Because <laughs> we're Baptists, that's what we do. So you need to bring this, and you need to bring this, and you need to bring banana pudding, because that's what the preacher eats. <laughs> and you need to bring this, and you need to bring this, and we have all these things that, that if you're coming to, the, to this dinner, you need to bring something. He says, when you go out, tell them they don't have to bring anything at all. Everything's done. Everything's ready. All you have to do is come. What an invitation. The king has done everything he needs to do to get it ready. He's done it all. When Jesus went to the cross, he said it is finished. There's nothing else you need to do. Everything is ready. The table is set. The food is prepared. All you have to do is come. He says it, he says it twice there. Tell them it's prepared. Tell them it, all things are ready. And then invite them to, to come. And watch what they do. You guys will see this. This is how they treated John the Baptist and Jesus. Verse 5. But they made light of it. And they went their ways, one to his farm and another to his merchandise. Luke 14 says that there was three excuses. I've got to go check my farm. I've got to go check my cows. <laughs> and my wife won't let me. <laughs> Those are the three excuses. And what these excuses are, when you make an excuse, you're saying, here's my excuse. I've got something better to do than what you're asking me to do. My farm is more important than celebrating your son. You with me on that? My wife is more important than celebrating your son. My cattle is more important than your son. These are excuses. I've got better things to do. I don't want to honor your son. This is, I call the first one indifference. This one is just flat out insulting. <clears throat> that anyone would have something better to do than to give their lives to Christ and be saved? is insulting to God who's prepared the salvation for his son. It's crazy. There's no good excuses for not accepting this invite. 
I've heard, and I could write a book, and I'm sure Johnny could write a book, on excuses why people don't get saved. It's, it's worse than, i got to check my cows. <laughs> it, it's worse than, I, 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 I've got to go uh, check my farm out. i got land I'm going I'm to go and look at. And my wife won't let me. I've heard excuse after excuse after excuse. And what you're saying is, I've got something better to do than to give my life to Jesus Christ. And it happens all the time. I'll wait till I'm in my 20s. I've got something better to do right now than to honor Jesus Christ. I'll wait until I have a family because right now I want to sow my wild oats because i got something better to do than give my life to Jesus. I've got this sin in my life that I refuse to give up. I love it more than I do the Lord Jesus Christ. Excuse after excuse and it's insulting to the Father that you'd rather do that than celebrate His Son. Let me give you the third response. We've seen indifference. We've seen insulting. I want to show you an irritated response. Verse 6. And the remnant took his servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. They were tired of hearing this invitation. They were tired of hearing about the son. So they get angry and they mistreat them and ultimately kill them. What did they do to John the Baptist? They cut his head off. What will they do to Jesus in just a matter of two or three days? They will take him and put him on a cross and kill him in a cruel, cruel way. This is the craziest thing you could ever imagine. That the king went to all this trouble, sent out all these invites, was so patient, and they don't even, it's not just an insulting or indifference response, it's violence. And watch what the the king does. He doesn't take, understand this, and I want you to grab this. The king doesn't take it lightly when you dishonor his son. Watch how he responds. Verse 7, when the king heard it, he was wroth. It's a great King James word. It means he got really, really, really mad. It means it burned him up. This is not a sinful anger. This is a righteous anger. I can't believe you wouldn't honor my son. And not only that, you're going to be indifferent to it. You're going to be insulting to me that you've got something better to do. Tell that to the royal family. Invite me to a a royal wedding and I send back, I've got something better going on. What better do you have to do? But really, when they kill his servants... He gets angry and he sends forth his armies and he destroys those murderers. He burned up their city. I told you, it's dangerous to turn down an invitation. And this right here will show you two things. First of all, this happened in 70 AD. About 40 years after Jesus said this, the Roman armies sent by God himself or allowed by God came upon Jerusalem and completely wiped it out. 
One million or more Jews were killed and the rest of them were scattered across the globe and the temple was tore down. The city walls were tore down. They completely wiped out the system. That's why today there is no sacrificial system. There, there is no Jewish system like it was then. He completely burned it up. He completely destroyed it. And the only thing left was one wall, the western welling wall that they have today. Wiped it out. And this kind of punishment will happen to anyone who turns down an invitation to believe in Jesus Christ. It won't be a city. We'll show you in a second what it'll be. So what does the king do now? He's wiped them out. Verse 8. We're still looking at the open invitation. You notice that? He had, a, had an initial invitation where he, he sent it out to those who were bidden. And then he said, okay, I, I want you to tell them it's all ready. It's all, it's all prepared. Go and really talk it up this time. And they turned it down. So now, what's he going to do? So we've had two groups that have already turned it down and said no. Watch what he does in verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding's ready. I want you to pay attention to that. It's, again, the word ready. Everything's prepared. Everything's ready in verse 4. And then down here in verse 8 again, it's all ready. But they which were bidden were not worthy. They're not worthy of more invitations. He's done with them. For now. But he says, I'm not canceling it. Who would cancel it? He's doing all, went to all that work. There's no way he's going to say, might as well cancel it. No, watch what he says. So go, that's Matthew 28, go into all the world. Go ye therefore into the highways. What a great word. You know what a highway is? That's where everybody travels. Everybody travels on the highways. You're not, you're not in the local roads around here where just, just the locals that everybody knows are around here in these little two-lane roads. You go up onto the highway where people are driving back and forth from, from Kentucky to, to Tennessee and all over the place. Truckers and everybody's up there on the highways. You don't go to the locals anymore. You don't go to the, the people who are around here. You go up there where the whole world is. I like that. You go to everyone and you go everywhere and you find as many as you can get and you bid them to come. You urge them to come. You compel them to come. This is a strong... You, you need to get them to come. You use by, by whatever means you can, get them to come. Invite them here. We need this house full. I love that. This is our job. We don't just tell people the gospel. We invite them to believe in Jesus. It's like people, they don't just go fishing. I'm not a fisherman, but I know this. When you go fishing, you want to catch something. Again, I'm not a fisherman, but I think that's the point. You don't sit out there all day and throw your, throw your line in and sit there. And say, don't, even, don't even try to pull it back. Just let it sit there. And when we preach, we don't just share the gospel. We reel them guys in. Come on! Come on! I've never caught a fish in my life, but come on! That may not even be how it's done. I don't know. Get in my boat! That's what he's saying here. Compel them! Get them to come! Go out on the highways and you beg them to come. You persuade them to come. You compel them to come. We don't just say, ah, you give it or take it. Either way, we're cool. 
No, when, when we share and when we preach, it ought to be, it ought to be, uh, come on! We need you to come! You need to come! It's inviting people to be saved. He's expanding the guest list. I love this. He opens it up and here's the shock. Look what he says. You go into the highways and you find as many as you can and you tell them to come to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and they, they gathered together all as many as they found. Look at this. Both the bad and the good. This, this is not an exclusive guest list. This is an open invitation inclusive to anybody. Both the good which is not good in, the, in that we're good before God. It's the moral and the decent people. The kind of people who give you the shirt off their back. You invite them and you invite the bad. You with me? The people who are listening to Jesus tell this story would think, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. The last thing we'd want in our wedding celebration is someone who's bad. Someone who's dirty. Street people. The riffraff of society. The cripple and the blind. The lame and the beggars. The outcasts and the no notorious sinners. You go to the, to the Zacchaeuses and you go to, to the blind beggars and, and you go to the tax collectors and, and you go out there to the people that, that everybody else has, has written off and you beg them to come and be in my celebration. That's like the, the queen going out into the homeless in the streets of London and asking them to come into the celebration. You had heads of state at that celebration. Can you imagine the queen saying, go out in the highways and get the riffraff. The stinky, the dirty, the nasty, the worst of the worst. And you bring them in to celebrate my son. You know who that is? The king's expanded his list to include the likes of me and you. We are the riffraff. Amen. If the first one was the, the Jewish people in the Old Testament, and the second invite was to the Jewish people in the Gospels that Jesus and John the Baptist went to, those who were the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests, and they all said no, here the Gospel now goes to us. And that invitation, aren't you glad that he opened it up to that invitation to salvation went from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. It came all the way to Big Stone Gap, Virginia. To where it's coming to you today. To the riffraff of society, which is us. Aren't you glad that we're not in control of who gets an invite? If we were in control, we, we, we would, who, who knows who we'd put on the list and who we'd keep off. I love that here it's open to anyone to come. I love that. And why did he do that? Look at this. We're back to the main point. So his servants went out to the highways and they gathered together all as many as they could find, both bad and good, and the wedding was full. If they won't come, and if they won't come, then I'll get them to come. Because I want the house to be full so people can celebrate my son. That wedding feast won't have a little scattering like it is at most churches on Sunday. 
Just some here and some there and some here. The father is making sure that every single seat is full in the celebration of his son. And I love that. It might not be who you want. It might not be who we'd expect. But that celebration will be full of the most unlikely people you will ever imagine. When we get to heaven and there will be a wedding banquet. And we'll all be around the table. It won't be like pews. There's going to be, in, in that time, there's tables and people would be sitting. You just imagine in a royal setting in, the, in, in those days when they'd be sitting in, at these chairs around the table. And as you go around the table, you're sitting there thinking, how'd you get in? How'd you get in? How'd you get in? And they look at you and say, how'd you get in? Because our God was so gracious to send me an invitation. Amen. And all I had to do was say yes to it. Heaven will be full of the most unlikely of people. I say this today. Churches are full of the most unlikely people. Look around the church today. It's not a who's who of people in society. We're just a bunch of ragtag. That's what his disciples were. A bunch of fishermen. That's what we are. That's who he's brought in. That's who's, who's answered the invitation. We're the bad that got in. We made the guest list. We wouldn't be on it. We shouldn't be on it. But our God is so gracious to give us the free offer of the gospel that whoever hears, whoever hears these words gets a personal invitation Amen. from heaven. Verse 10, and I'm going to move on, is bubbling with grace. I mean, it's just, I mean, it just, it's almost like a, it's just overflowing with grace in verse 10 that He would go to us. That He would go to the good and to the bad. That He's opening up His invitation to anyone who hears and will come. So that's the open invitation. I'll move to the last point. I hope you guys are getting this story. Because now it takes a weird turn. Watch it. Every one of them does. Jesus, when He tells these stories, it's like, okay, okay, okay. What in the world is that? It's just a twist to it. I love it. Here's the twist. There's an out-of-place guest. What an outline, too. <laughs> the over-the-top celebration, the open invitation, and then the out-of-place guest. Because now in verse 11, the king came. He shows up. The servants have gathered. They're around the table. And now the king walks in. And as he walks in, this is great. He came to see all the guests that have showed up to celebrate his son. He walks through the celebration. All the chairs are full. There's not an empty chair here and an empty chair there. They didn't have to bring out extra chairs. I believe the king knows exactly who's going to be there and how many's going to be there and he's prepared it exactly for who's going to be there. It's not like church again, scattering. Every seat we full. The son will receive the full reward of his suffering. He will be celebrated. So all the chairs are full. And the king sees everything and he sees everyone. So it's almost like he's going around checking everybody. You know, just. And then he sees a man. He saw there a man. This man was out of place. This man stood out like a sore thumb. I almost, said, I almost called him a wedding crasher or an intruder. Everybody else 
was it in place. Everybody else was there and they belonged there. And as he's going down the table, he's saying, you don't belong here. And why doesn't he belong here? Look what he says. The king came in to see the guests. He saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. He's not dressed for the occasion. You say, what does that mean? This guy stands out. He tried to get in without the proper attire. He tried to get in his own way. He didn't get in the way the king said to get in. He tried to get in his own way. See, the king, when he says everything's prepared, he means everything's prepared. So much so that even the clothes you wear when you walk in are provided by the king. These guys, they would come off the streets. They didn't have time to go home and get get clothes on. They didn't even have clothes that were good enough to go to a celebration. If I was going to go to the royal wedding and I came in like this, you know, I think I look pretty good. But this doesn't fit with what they want. The queen would have to get me a nice suit. The queen would have to get me some new clothes. So the king, in order to make sure everybody was right, at the door, he would have a wedding garment or a wedding robe that he would put on. He'd say, this makes you worthy to get in. Go on. This makes you worthy to go in. Now get on. This makes you worthy to get in. Now go on. And there was somebody who came in and said, my clothes are fine. I can get in how I want to get in. And he snuck his way in and he sat down. And he refused to put on the garments of the king. And I don't think he's sitting there like, oh, hiding, you know. I think he's sitting there like, I look pretty good. I got in on my own. You guys wearing somebody else's clothes, the son's clothes. I'm okay. You say, Josh, what does all this mean? We can't get in to heaven and obtain salvation on our own. We can't. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And that even the best of us isn't good enough to get into heaven and to be saved. That the best of the best of the best Still is filthy, rotten, stinking rags. Nobody gets to heaven on their own righteousness. On their own goodness. And these are those Pharisees and, and those scribes who thought they could get in by their own moral upstanding righteousness. And you stand out like a sore thumb. You only get in, this is a theological word, hang with me, by the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. That He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That we who had filthy attire, sinful attire, can put on the robes of the Lord Jesus Christ and be right before God. There's an imputed righteousness which is invisible and is my standing before God in heaven. And there's an imparted righteousness, which is how I act when I get in there. I like that one too. There's a decorum while you're there. If I took my kids to a royal wedding, (laughs) they'd get a talking to before we went in. (laughs) There's a way you act 
Again, there's an imputed righteousness, which is my standing in heaven before God. But there's an imparted righteousness, which is how I live here today. There is a decorum to how you live as a Christian. And you've got to have both. The imparted righteousness will bring you, the imputed righteousness will bring you the imparted righteousness of how you live. My kids went to a royal wedding. I'd say, Isaiah, don't you dare fight with your brother over a corn of a cop. <laughs> I doubt that's what they're serving there. <laughs> Tea and strumpets or something, I don't know. You can tell I, ain't, I don't belong in a royal wedding. You use this fork and you use this spoon. There's a, there's a way you act. And there's a way that Christians ought to act. Nobody has anything nice enough to get into heaven. Nobody can be good enough to get into heaven. Nobody can come as they are. You must come in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Everybody needed a robe. And listen, when the king said it was all ready, he meant it was all ready. Down to the clothes you wear when you got there. There's nothing you have to bring. They say the only thing that we bring to salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Everything else is provided at the expense of the Son. So Jesus here shatters any hope of ever being saved or entering into heaven on your own. He never, ever put his arm around somebody and said, I think you can get in on your own. He always shattered their hopes. You only get in by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. There's going to be a lot of religious people trying to show up and not getting in. There's going to be a lot of Mormons who show up trying to get in, standing out like a sore thumb, and they don't belong. Because their faith isn't in Jesus Christ. There's going to be Catholics that try to get in on their own. And they, they come walking in like, like, like they fit in, but they don't have the righteousness of Jesus and they don't belong. There's going to be a, a lot of, of, of self-righteous Christians who are sitting in churches every day thinking that they can get in because they've been to church, they've, they've been full attendance, they've been baptized, they've done, they've done, they've done, they've done. But salvation has nothing to do with what you've done and everything to do with what He's done. There's a lot of hypocrites in churches, but there will be none in heaven. When the bridegroom cometh, Will your robes be white, full and white in the blood of the Lamb? So lastly, this is a theological passage, full of truth. Look what Jesus does, what the King does. And he says unto him, friend, <laughs> I tried to spend some time on why did he call him friend? And then do what he did. Maybe I'll spend a little more time this week studying friend. Why friend? He says, how camest thou in hither? That's King James. I would say it this way. How in the world did you get in? Not having a wedding garment. That guy thought he was okay. This is Matthew 7 where he says, have I not done? Have I not done? Have I not prophesied in your name? Have I not cast out demons in your name? Have I not? Have I not? Have I not? Look at me. I belong here. And Jesus looked at him and said, depart from me. I never knew you. That's what this is. He saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. He said, friend, how'd you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was absolutely speechless. He's exposed. He doesn't belong. So Jesus said, watch this. 
And you, you, you need to see this. King said to the servants, Time up, hand and foot. Bind him up where he can never get out, with ropes that will never be broken. And then cast him, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him. That cast him is to throw him, literally throw. You take him and you throw him into outer darkness. This outer darkness, they say, was outside the city, a garbage dump, where there was an unquenchable fire. That they take their garbage and they throw it into the fire and it would burn. And they would take their dead and they'd throw them into the fire and it would burn. And it was the nastiest, stinkiest place that you could imagine. So Jesus takes, get this, he takes the greatest thing in the world, a wedding, and says this is what salvation in heaven's like. And he takes the worst thing that anybody could imagine in that time, that people would walk by the garbage dump and they'd, they'd hold their faces and hold their noses at the stench and the darkness and the heat, and he compares it to hell. In the celebration of the wedding, there's joy and there's, there's laughter and there's a, a feast and everybody around the table and, and it's just a, the most wonderful thing that you could ever imagine. And if you reject that and say no to the invitation, then it's the, the worst thing that you could ever imagine. Words cannot describe how bad hell will be. Words can't describe how great heaven will be. So he takes these two things and says, you don't belong here. You belong here. Anybody who rejects the invitation to hear, to honor my son, deserves hell. That's the indifferent, deserve hell. That's the irritated who get mad at the invitation and persecute, they deserve hell. That's those who are insulting the son and saying, I've got better things to do, deserve hell. Those who think they can get in their own way deserve hell. Anybody who refuses the invitation and refuses to come in God's way deserves hell. That's what this is teaching. You need to weigh this out. If you're sitting here today, these are your options. It's celebration or damnation. That's your options. And you can't come on your own way and your own terms. It must be on God's terms. By faith in Jesus Christ. No other way. No other religion. No other Savior. No other way but God's way. You weigh that out. He's making it clear. All who reject the invitation get damnation. And then he adds, and I'll close, for many are called, but few are chosen. You say, what is this there for? I, th- I think it can mean something as simply as, I send out a whole lot of invites and there's not very many that accept it. I think, I think that, that's simple. But I also think that many are called and few, few are chosen as few are elected. That's what the word is, eclectos. That the Father 
made sure that there would be a full house for his son. And that the father has planned this. He's prepared this. He's put all this in place. And there's no chance it'll be a half full celebration. I've told you that the whole last week of Jesus' life, it trying to show us that he's in full control of the whole thing. Amen. So he's saying here, guys, this is all the Father's plan. Every last bit of it. He knew that the first group would reject. He knew that the second group would reject. And he knows that the gospel is going to go out to the entire world. Romans 1 says, to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. He knows he's planned. He's put it together. And he knows there will be, he's guaranteed there will be a full house in heaven. It won't be half full. Get this. It won't be half full in heaven. It won't be COVID full in heaven. You know, they say now that we can only be at like 15% capacity. That's what they say. Can't determine what percentage. There'll be 100% in heaven. Every, every seat will be full. There won't be an empty seat. There won't be that, that something happens in heaven and, and, there's, and, and, and God's like, okay, we've got to find some extra chairs. Put some of these here and, and some of these there. Every seat will be full exactly how he planned it before the foundation of the world. The son will receive the full reward of his suffering. Let me give you a couple passages and I'll close. You've got to turn there with me too. Revelation 19. Let's move ahead. Let's fast forward. Revelation 19. I want to show, I want to show you the end for those who accept this invitation. Revelation 19, verse 1. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. <laughs> I had to read that to you. It's not going to be empty. It's not going to be half full. There will be multitudes, multitudes, multitudes of people in heaven. There's a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia. Salvation and glory and honor and power under the Lord our God. You see what they're saying there? They're celebrating something there, are they not? Look down at verse 4. And the four and the twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye His servants, and ye that fear Him, both small and great. Small and great, good and bad, rich and poor. And I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude. And as a voice of many waters. You know what that means? I preached this a couple years ago. The voice of many waters is like you go to Niagara Falls. I've never been there. But they say it's one of the loudest things you'll ever hear. Just a rushing. <sighs> deafening. It's all these voices in heaven that are combined. Praising God. It sounds like a, a rushing water. So many voices. I heard the voice of a great multitude, verse 6, and his voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. 
And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called under the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. There will be a celebration in heaven. And it will be full. And there will be praise. And there will be the good and the bad and the rich and the poor. And all nations and all tongues and all peoples will be represented there as we sing hallelujah under the sun. What a great passage. That's for those who accept. That's what we get. Salvation now is, is, is amazing. It's like a wedding now. Don't let anybody ever tell you that salvation is bad. It's a great thing. It's like a wedding. Church is good. I think church ought to be like a celebration, not like a funeral. You go to some churches and you think somebody died. Somebody did die and he rose again on the third day. We celebrate that. But watch this. Turn over a page. Revelation 22. Verse 12. And behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give every man according to his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. You see that? They get in. This is the last chapter of the Bible. Watch this. But without... Here's these that are going to hell. Without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loves to make a lie. They don't have the righteous robes and they're out. But watch this. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I'm the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. He just keeps on standing out, don't he? And a spirit, I love verse 17. This is how it closes. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. Pretty much the last verse of the Bible is an invitation to those who are on the outside Three times in this last verse, come. Here at the end, to those who have rejected, he says, come. Our God is an amazing, inviting God. And all the way up to pretty much the end. Because we go from come in verse 17 to him coming in verse 20. (laughs) So up to that point, the very end, he's inviting and inviting and inviting and inviting. So if you're here today and you've never accepted God's great invitation, you could be here sitting in these pews, you could be watching online, you've made excuses, and no excuse is good enough to turning down Jesus. There's nothing in the world that could be a good excuse for turning down salvation in Jesus. Nothing. Nothing's better. Nothing's more important. You cannot make a good enough excuse. If you give me an excuse that says, here's why I'm not saved, I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, that excuse isn't good enough. It insults God who wants you to honor His Son. There's no excuse good enough. 
Maybe you get mad. I'm tired of getting invited. Maybe you've been, you've tried it your own way. Maybe you said, I'm going to be good enough. I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to pull up my bootstraps and make myself better. It won't be good enough on the last day. You need Jesus. So we here today, I do. I believe I'm a servant of God, sent by God to invite you today to be saved. I'm inviting you today. I don't know who... See, see, that's the thing about imputed righteousness. It's on the inside and it's my standing before heaven, before God in heaven. I can't tell you who's got it and who don't. All I can see is your normal everyday clothes. So I don't know what's in here. So I get to invite every single one of you. If you've rejected it, if you've made excuses, if you've tried your own way, then here today, God through me and through His Word is giving you the greatest invitation that has ever been given. That you today... Hearing it, personally handed to you, an invitation to be saved, an invitation to a great celebration, an invitation to know His Son, to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You should reject it. That'd be crazy. That would be nuts to say, I'll take hell over heaven. Who does that? Nobody in their right mind. So if you're here today and there's any doubt at all, you come. You see that? Come. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm fishing. First time I ever fished in my life. Here we go. And I'm casting over here. If there's anybody lost, I want you up here. You come, put your faith in Jesus. Anybody over here? Here we go. Come on. Real men, you need to be saved today. You come up here. You guys over here. I don't know. I'm casting it far and wide. It could be a kid. It could be an adult. It could be somebody sitting in church that's tried it their own way for years. Put your faith in Jesus and come up here. Come on. I'll even do it right here. This camera. Hundreds of thousands of people watching online. <laughs> and by hundreds of thousands, I mean like five. <laughs> But you know what? There could be somebody who's just flipping through Facebook right now. And they, 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 they could be from who, who knows where. They could be from out on the highways. And here old Joshie up here. If you, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've done, put your faith in Jesus today, you can be saved and enter into the celebration of His Son. So come. You say, they can't come. They could be in Timbuktu somewhere. You don't have to come anywhere. It'd be nice if you'd come up here and you put your faith in Christ. But ultimately, all you have to do is say, I'm not doing it my own way. And I accept the invitation to put my faith in Jesus. And like that, He'll save you. And you'll be wearing the garments of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your standing before God in heaven will be white as snow. I call you this day to come. And God stands with open arms. But if you reject one last time, if you reject, you will never experience the great salvation and celebration that God has prepared for us. So please today, I urge you, I plead with you, I beg you, I compel you with everything that I have in me, please believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Courtney's going to come play a song. We're going to play, play just... 
quietly on the piano for just a minute or two. I'm going to put Johnny here and Brandon here. I've got to get dressed to baptize. But if there's anybody in this room that needs to believe in Jesus and put their faith in him today, I bid you to come. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for a great passage. So much truth, so deep. I thank you for the opportunity to study it and to preach it. Now, God, today we've done our best to invite. And I can only take it from my mouth to their ear. There's nothing in me that can get it in their hearts. That can only be done by your spirit. So God, if there's anyone in here today who's never been saved, may you take it from their ear to their heart. And they'll put their faith in you now, today, before it's too late. It would be insulting to turn down your son. It would be crazy to turn down your son. So God, please bless this invitation time. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.